Good evening. Good evening. A little dark. A little brighten that up a little bit. Am I? Glasses are a little dirty. Hey, no, you look good. Yeah, you, you do too. Really good. So, what's the big news, Brzezinski? Um, I have. Well, you know, it's nice to see you. Haven't seen you uh, in a week. Yeah. No, that's not true. I saw you about five days ago for a game night. Oh, that's right. We had game we night. We play categories. The weekly categories uh, thing going on. How was your week since then? It's been good. Busy. I'm glad the weather's uh, getting a little nicer here in Brooklyn, so I can go outside for a stroll and not freeze to to pieces. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's and good. Uh, been uh, been busy, I guess. But I don't. I, wanna, I don't know when I'm doing what. I could. I'm. It's hard. I think preparing for the show is really, uh, you know, taking most of my time right now. It's brutal getting ready it's a lot of work for this it's a lot of work i mean you have to tidy up your apartment the apartment there for one thing and that's a that's several minutes of time of your yeah. day yeah and um uh, yeah i have to get the the lighting in here uh, a little bit better that takes time well i mean you know most of the people for most people this is a podcast and and so you know they don't need to we don't need to look good for the podcast. People. No, that's true. But, you know, for the a random, uh, you know, person who stops by for the live show. Um, and for mom. And for mom. Yeah. I want to look, I want to look at the best that we can. We had a tough week here, though. It was, it was rough. We, Explain what happened. Uh, well, you know, we, we, you made that, that chacroot last week. And then yeah. I talked about making a sour broughton. Right. And, and discovered that the recipe that I wanted to make wasn't a sour broughton. It was just a German style um, pot roast. Okay. And it wasn't mom, sour or broughton. It wasn't sour or broughton. And mom insisted, she insisted on calling it sour broughton. And we really got into it. It got mm. ugly. It was, um, uh, okay. She was very disappointed. And, um, that you didn't make sour broughton. You didn't that make I didn't the make, thing that you that, said you were yeah, going to make. I have to make the sour broughton because she's 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 on the war path. Yeah. Well, um, get to it. Hop to it. Don't I let will. me interrupt. I mean, the, I, the if problem you need is to go and do already, this. I was already to make the sour broughton and then found out that it has to marinate for like four or five days. So so I mm -hmm. couldn't make it for that night. Right. But I have right. other big news. Well, what is the other big news? Oh my goodness, look at that. So it's uh you know I thought it, I, for some reason I was thinking that we were going to be seeing a clear uh, a clear liquor but we're not seeing that. Not clear. It's uh it's a nice golden amber. Yeah, it's beautiful. Look at that. That's yeah, great. A nice bottle. Great bottle. Again. For those out there who don't who who are listening, Matthew's holding up a bottle of uh the first kind of unofficial batch of his uh, new liquor. The yeah, the booze that my partners and I are going to be marketing. We have our prototypes now to uh, for people to taste and give us feedback. Uh, but we're getting closer and closer to, to market. So it's a very right. very last man standing kind of bottle, isn't it? Very nineteen twenties uh, speakeasy kind of bottle there. Yeah, very excited about this. And uh, and then I have other other news. Uh, I, I don't think. Did we talk about last week about the Sunshine Boys? You know, I the, last week was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I don't remember, frankly. Yeah. I'm going to be doing a, 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 a Zoom production of the Sunshine Boys with Pop and, and, and Robert Klein. I don't know if you mentioned it on the show, but you did mention it to me in one of yeah. our rare off-air conversations uh, that's really <laughs> exciting that's actually that's that's an official thing now it's an official thing and wow. uh playing a role that i played 24 years ago right yeah <laughs> very that's exciting. fantastic congratulations when is that going to happen uh don't have the date yet sometime in april i think it is so you'll be acting with dad acting with pop yeah th that's not the first time you've acted with no we dad. did a film together about about um 15 16 years ago all right in a movie called Race. And it went so well that 15 years later <laughs> we're doing we get it to do a thing again yeah yeah but it'll be fun that's great with so, robert with who with robert klein 
Robert Klein. Fantastic. Yeah. So who's producing it? Where can people see it? Uh, don't don't know yet. It's it's being produced by a theater up here in Westchester, but it it's a benefit. Great. Um, and uh, so I guess tickets will be available, and there there will be different price tiers. You know, if if you want the good seats, mm. you get one ticket, and it'll fill your whole computer screen. Uh, you can get the partially obstructed mm-hmm. view where only part of your screen right. will be, you know, you'll be a little bit yeah. blocked. For very um, little money, hold the hand up like this for the partially obstructed view, mm-hmm. but you don't pay as much. Right, of course. Why would you? It's <laughs> <laughs> very exciting. Uh, That's nice. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be good. So, um, we got a movie to talk about. I guess we do. We picked a movie last week and we saw it, and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, had you seen uh, the Hitchhiker before? I haven't, but before we start talking about the movie, I have to I have to talk to you about a kind of strange experience I had with this movie before I even w- started watching it. Oh, okay. Because um, I didn't know anything about it, and I started doing some, you know, went as we do, went online to look at stuff, and the first thing I saw. The first thing that, that came up was this photograph, which I don't know if you've seen this photograph. It's from the movie. Um, so, you know this photo, right? From um, the- well, you know, I know the movie. You know the so movie. I don't know that I know the photograph outside for, of, from the movie. But Okay, well, so this was the, the, the first thing I saw. I didn't know anything about the movie, and I saw this photograph, and I looked at that actor, and it's, it's Frank Lovejoy. Um, in the front with the yeah, holding the, the rifle, front. Frank Lovejoy in the front, and he looked really familiar to me. And I knew that I knew I had seen him somewhere before, and I couldn't figure out where because he looked so incredibly familiar, like like really familiar, like like almost like I knew him. Um, and I was I was racking my brain, and I did a really, um, a really deep dive. Uh, on the internet to try and find where I knew this guy from. And I finally found it. And it was, it was incredible. Cause I, I want to share this with you. It just, it, it freaked me out that, <laughs> that I, I knew him so much. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it isn't, and I, I know that guy. I, I he seems to have um, he seems to have a, a head uh, displacement problem <laughs> a little bit. But is it a little too big? Did I make it a little too big? No, your Photoshop skills are are improving a, a lot. And yeah. uh, so you think you think I have a Frank Lovejoy vibe? Is that what you're trying to say? Okay, I'm going to tell you a true story. So I did that right, and then I was talking to my daughter, your niece, Abby. Oh. Yeah. And I said, Hey, I got to show you something. Uh, l- look at this photograph. And I showed her the first photograph, the first one of yeah. Frank Lovejoy. And her response instantly was, Wow, you did you Photoshop Uncle Tony into that picture? Weird. <laughs> instantly said that. She thought it's you. Crazy. <laughs> oh my God. And I wow. said, no, I said, that's not Uncle Tony. And she said, you're kidding me. She said, I said, no, that is not Uncle Tony. That is really that's crazy. That's your name, Frank Lovejoy. And I then, wish I had Frank Lovejoy's hair right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was the hardest part of the uh, <laughs> Photoshop experience was getting, blending your hair with, yes. with Frank Lovejoy's. Very good. I like that. But I have that photo. And for those of you uh, listening on the podcast, um, I will be posting both the Frank Lovejoy photo okay. and the Anthony Arkin Frank Lovejoy photo on Excellent. the website so that Excellent. so that you can get some of the joy. I love it. I think maybe the head was a little too uh, maybe I needed to shrink the head a little bit. Uh, maybe a tad, but I, I think it actually works for the comedy of it all. Yeah, I really okay. do. Good. Um, that's interesting. Well, I like Frank Lovejoy, and I'm glad that I uh, that I remind you of him, and not uh, and not, for not, instance, not William Tallman, Mr. Mr. Tallman in this yeah. movie. 
Okay. Well, why don't you do your thing and tell us about this movie? Okay, great. I'm going to, I'm going to have a sip of scotch while you, I'm going to have some club soda. Okay. That was a nice little break for us both. I'll edit that out or maybe I won't. No, I don't think you should. I think you keep it real. The Hitchhiker from 1953 uh, from RKO Pictures. One of, one of my favorite uh, studio houses of all time. Um, directed by the great Ida Lupino. Very, uh, uh, what, how, what, how do you describe Ida Lupino? She was a great movie star. And she was also one of the first uh, women in Hollywood to break out and start making her own films and directing and becoming a big director. Uh, a very respected big studio movies at a time where women really weren't doing that in Hollywood. Nope. At all. So she's somebody that's worth celebrating. And also aside from just, you know, her being uh, a hero female director, she's just a great director and a great actor, like straight up. Fantastic. One of my favorite episodes of the twilight zone. She did an episode. I forget which episode she did, actually. Well, she I'm was in one and she directed one. Which one did she direct? I don't know which one she directed. The one that she was in was sort of a uh, Sunset Boulevard kind of twist where it's a, an actress well past her glory days who can't stand that she's not young and famous and gorgeous anymore. And she right. watches herself on the screen in her screening room and then ends up going into the movies and and being back with all those people but but fantastic the screen it's a wonderful episode she with started martin, huh with martin balsam with martin balsam too she started out in films early in like in the in the 40s she was in 19 well she started actually in the 30s my god her first film was in 31 um and then she kind of hit it big in high sierra with bogart in 40 and 41 and was in a lot of great noir movies, including one of my favorites, the big knife. She's fantastic in that. Um, and then went on to direct twilight zone and other things. This is, uh, this is, I guess her, it's not her first film. It's, uh, she directed maybe five things before this, but isn't um, she the only woman to direct a, what was considered one of the, the classic the, the noir, noir mo- movies? I'm going to say yes, but that, that I may not be right about that. I, I mean, I, I need to, I need to I think you I, are. I think I'm right. She's certainly the most notable. She's the most yeah. famous person, uh, a woman to direct a, a, an actual noir from that period. Yeah. But that certainly goes for Hollywood. There may have been women in other countries that did. I, I don't really know. But um, she's great. And uh, she is doing a movie here uh, based on an actual true crime, or a real crime, a, a, a very scary killing spree that happened uh, with an escaped convict who was uh, killing people. I don't know. Was it? Did the real case take place in the in the desert like this movie does? Yes, it did. Um, the, the whole thing with Santa Rosalia is real. Okay. Um, uh, it was interesting that the um, the the FBI uh, didn't wouldn't that she wanted very badly to make it a true crime story using the real names and everything, and the FBI wouldn't let her. Mm. Uh, and actually, more than that, a much bigger and more powerful association wouldn't let her. The Motion Picture Association. Much uh, more dangerous than the FBI. Much clearly, much more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. sort of like the phone company in. Well, that's the president's analyst. <laughs> that's really interesting because you know uh, I think it's it's a notable noir movie for a lot of reasons, but it's also um, a really early real true crime story uh, film. I, I feel yeah. like. They'd, they'd adapted real crimes into movies before, but they weren't. They didn't really say that it was from an actual event. This right. movie is clearly about an event that was pretty clear in people's minds. I think when this came out, yeah, and when it was made, and it wasn't until like, I think in Cold Blood, almost ten years later, that a film 
kind of supposedly set the standard for a real case a yeah. movie you know yeah but this came way before and i think is um is an i just think it's a great film i'd seen it before uh, I, I go back to it a lot, and um, it was a pleasure to see it again. You know, you'd never seen it. I'd never seen it. But do you want to tell our audience the story before we start getting into the sure. nitty-gritty? Yeah. Um, it's a, 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 a case about two friends, two guys who are going on a fishing trip, who, get, uh, who pick up a, a hitchhiker along the road in the desert on their weekend uh, jaunt together, and he turns out to be a, a homicidal killer who's been on the loose for a few days and has already killed a few people on the road and stolen cars and um he kidnaps these guys and takes them on a kind of a joyride into the desert into mexico and uh, the movie intercuts between them trying to get to a port town where you think this guy's going to kill these two uh, americans uh and they're also cutting between that and the mexican police who are tracking them through the desert and then uh, one kind of silly American FBI agent who, who that, that, did, that's the only that, thing in the movie that like, isn't, doesn't it's like, work. It's, it's a really good noir movie. And then there's a guy out of a bad episode of the FBI from the yeah. late 60s. I feel like maybe somebody else directed those scenes because yeah. they or, that's that's all on stud in a studio and sort of an, like an FBI from a a uh uh a movie you would have watched in health class in, right. the, in the 50s. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. A sexual, a sex ed class. Yeah. Um, so that's the movie. Uh, it's, it's very, uh, it's very short. It's not very short, but it's, it's a, it's a very tight, uh, very small cast. Yeah. It goes by quickly. Hour um, and 11, one hour and 11 minutes, I think. It's an hour and 11 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and it's packed with stuff and it really does uh it it's it it, it packs a punch yeah it really really packs card. a punch just the front card i love this is the true story of a man and a gun and a car yeah <laughs> first shot of the movie is a, is a gun pointing yeah. at the camera so you yeah. get an idea really quick that this is a this is a tough movie and not a movie that you'd expect necessarily a woman to direct certainly back back no. in 53 no it's and, so and to do it like you you there's nothing about it that that it, it seems like actually kind of hard for a man's movie it's really notably tough i i think this movie yeah she pulls no punches she reminds me a little bit i guess of um you know uh, she, the movie reminds me a lot of a kubrick movie and a lot of a john houston movie she she worked with houston um worked on one of his worked in a film with one of his screen I mean High Sierra was written by uh John Houston so she worked in a script of his and I think learned a lot of moves from him because you can really see a lot of uh Asphalt Jungle which was 1950 right, right. John Houston's very very famous film noir like a picture film noir and um and you really you can see her uh learning a lot from that really stripped down very masculine style that that he had but but there's something about it that has this humanity in it that knowing a little bit about her and knowing that she was very into causes and wanted to make films that were about causes and things that were important uh um you can see her humanity hum, humane side kind of coming out and how she uh deals with some of the smaller characters i think so it's both really hard hitting and tough and really scary, uh, particularly for a movie from 53 and also kind of warm and, um, and about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, um, what do you want to talk about for, I mean, uh, there's a lot to, to talk about. There's a ton. Can we, can we just start with, with like, with, uh, with the killer himself with emmett myers william 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 tallman william tallman most people know from 225 episodes of perry mason perry mason as yeah. district attorney not a show i ever really watched even one episode of to be I, totally honest i watched it religiously when i was uh, it was on tv like yeah. 
in the morning when you get a yeah i when i was eight nine ten years old i adored that show okay crazy do you remember crooked picture you know you know perry mason and the case of the twisted vase do you remember tallman from that show absolutely okay I mean, he had a, he was big time regular on the show every week. He was he 225 episodes. He I mean, every episode was Perry Mason, the defense lawyer against the same district attorney in the courtroom every episode. Um, and he was spectacular. Was um, he um, very well dressed and urbane on that yeah, show as a lawyer? Yeah. OK, yeah. I mean, it's it's great stuff. If you saw him in this movie and then said, the next thing you're really going to see him in is a very sophisticated urban court drama, you'd no. probably be like, there's no way this guy could do it. No, you would not. He 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 really, this was a, one, a career highlight for him. Um, and he's, he's spec, he died very young. He died at 53. Oh, okay. Wow. Frank well, Lovejoy died at the age of 50, I think. They both died quite young. That would explain. I mean, there's no other reason why I can think we don't know more about these guys as actors yeah. because they're actually both really everybody's good in this movie. Um and Frank Lovejoy actually started out in was really big in radio. Okay. And worked with Grandpa Dana. Oh, no kidding. On gang on uh uh Gangbusters. Gangbusters. He was a regular, a big, big guy on gang. Oh, what do you know? Yeah. Our, our uh, you know, our, our grandfather, our, uh, our mom's dad, uh, was a was a guy who worked in radio and wrote for radio theater, including Gangbusters and The Shadow. Maybe I think I think so. Um, but a lot of those kind of noir noir radio shows. Yeah. Um, so grandpa cool. would have known this guy, no doubt. Yeah. William Talman plays one of the best crazed killers in a movie. I really think it's, it's one of the hall of fame, hall of fame, crazy killers from any movie. I mean, particularly when you think this was 1953, uh, psycho hadn't come out yet. Yep. You know, before <laughs> have you, he smelled so he bad. Smelled bad. Uh, he, he's, he's this interesting kind of, he typifies what the movie kind of is about to me, which is like this analysis of for, I don't like the phrase male toxicity or whatever. I wish there was a different phrase for it, but like whatever's terrible about men, he, he kind of, he's like, he, he, it's like the flip side of the, of the cool guy, black leather jacket stubble. He's got, you know, he's like the guy on the run, the tough guy, Yeah, you know, and they managed to take to do all of that. And they depict him that way, but they also make him like an amphetamine-driven, sweaty, unhinged, disgusting mess. Yeah, uh, and he's terrifying. He's really terrifying. Yeah, he. Uh, you know what? Uh, the real Cook, um, Billy Cook, was the name of the the killer, the real killer. I and did not look it he, up, but when he was arrested, he said. The quote they have of him when he was arrested, which is perfect for this movie, is I hate everybody's guts and everybody hates mine. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. That's like a line from the movie. They really did their homework. Yeah. And that line's not in the film, but that's exactly how he talks through the whole thing. When uh, when Lovejoy says to him, because um, he's pointing that gun at them all the time, you know. And finally, Lovejoy says to him, "You ever been at the? You ever been at the other end of a gun?" And he says, "No, and I never will be." <laughs> um, I, I want to talk for a second now that we're there about this thing that I that's just been driving me crazy about this movie that I love that I feel on this viewing. I finally kind of like it. Really, kind of made all sense. Just kind of clicked into place about this really not being about this true case at all. I feel like they they took this and used it as an opportunity, Ida Lupino and the producer, and her co-writer, to just explore masculine issues and tropes and relationships and and masculine cliches. Yep. 
and do it through a lens of the most masculine form of movie, arguably the noir, like, you know, tough guy movie and make all kinds of amazing statements that are so advanced. Like they were, they're so particularly psychologically advanced to me for 1953. It's really, really amazing what she was able to do. Well, she turned a lot of stuff on its head. Yeah. Yeah. the, 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 the heroes in the movie the these victims do absolutely nothing heroic in the, in the entire film nothing they 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 suffer they suffer and merely survive yeah and and we know that one of them was in the army frank you get the feeling that maybe both of them maybe both served. of them were but they don't confirm it with with um with with edmund o'brien's character but you get the feeling that maybe they were army buddies, but you get the feeling that 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 Frank Lovejoy's character maybe was the one who saw more combat. And maybe maybe Edmund O'Brien was an engineer or something. Because yeah. Lovejoy really knows his way around a gun, as as we see yeah. in that scene where where um where Emmett makes him shoot. And forgive me, but like an actual person who actually saw action wouldn't want to be a hero unless it was absolutely necessary to do so because right. they know the reality of it. Right. And Edmund O'Brien keeps saying, let's do the, you know, yeah. let's try. And, 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 and Frank Lovejoy is like, yeah. no, no. And in the, in the one scene where they do try to escape finally, um, and they don't, uh, William Tallman has one of my favorite lines and it speaks to this thing you're talking about, about the masculinity is when he says, you guys are really fools. If you wanted, one of you would have got away, but you kept thinking about each other. So you missed some chances. You got tired. You slowed down. Now it's pretty late. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you weren't, you, you didn't do what men do, which is, die <laughs> yeah know? yeah or you know or, or or you know or risk it all to prove their masculinity against the evil guy and and yeah. and win they didn't do I they didn't do any of that they yeah. simply tried to get through it which which really when you think about it and you're absolutely right when you think about it coming out in 1953 that that statement alone was so necessary here back then particularly with a whole you know a whole generation of men who were who had seen world war ii yeah. and and were dealing with post-traumatic stress and all the kind of 50s mentality like buck up be a tough guy attitudes uh with korea you know coming up and yeah. and just the sense of manhood being uh uh this this uh unattainable dream that everybody has i love the way too how we were talking last week that that every noir movie like the great noirs all are about bad decisions they're all about making a wrong choice of some kind and there's one in here too which is so great it's so tiny but these guys do screw up they make a fatal mistake in the beginning of the movie and they pay for it just like they do in all noirs you know what i'm talking about right they're going to go on a fishing trip and they've told their wives they're going to go on a fishing trip and they kind of secretly know that really what they're going to do is stop at a few bars on the way and maybe take a detour to visit this old stripper that they used to know back before the war, like during the war. Right. And they go to Mexico, not to the mountains in Colorado. Where they, where they tell they their wives they're going. They go to Mexicali, which is kind right. of like a red light district fun town for bachelor guys who want to go. Oh, away. yeah. I mean, how many how many nights have you and I spent there? Just I'd rather not bring it up. Okay. All right. But so they they have this great moment where they kind of before they pick up the hitchhiker they're they're talking about well we're gonna go fishing well you maybe want to take a detour and they're like well i you know maybe we'll do that that'd be kind of great to see old florine who used to dance at the thing and (laughs) and and then he has this great line he goes yeah but she's probably dead by now because it's been so long and they're like yeah poor florine but they both kind of decide that they're gonna maybe go 
they're going to go to have some drinks and then have some fun, but they feel weird about it because immediately yeah. Lovejoy's character brings up his wife and he says, you know, he gets, it gets really dark in the, in the car with these two guys. Yeah. And, and Lovejoy says, you know, this is, uh, this is the first time I've ever been away from Maudie and the kids since before the war. Yeah. And it's like, it's really quiet in the car. And an amazing thing happens. Edmund O'Brien literally goes, well, it's all right. Let's, let's call it off. We'll just go fishing. It's fine, man. Or we can turn around and go home. Right. And you realize you've never really seen two, two male friends acting together in kind of a loving, supportive way. Like right away, you're seeing something that's kind of different. Yeah. They're having feelings. They're not feeling particularly masculine about it because they kind of want to go relive their youth and be tough guys. But then they're also kind of middle-aged and that. Eh, but they decide to go, right? They go anyway. They go anyway. And if they hadn't gone, they never would have run into the hitchhiker. They never would have run into that to Emmett Myers. But did you notice what happens in front of the club when they're just about to go in and he... Yeah, they pull up. Lovejoy pretends to be asleep. Pretends to be asleep, just like the killer does all the time later. Yep. Amazing, weird, complicated stuff. He has that yeah. weird moment where he's looking at, like, he's looking at Edmund O'Brien, and Edmund O'Brien doesn't know he's a, does he know he's awake? Mirrored later with all this weird behaviors of things they don't know, things they're not willing to say to each other, things that come out. All this fear of not being a, a man, man enough. The other thing that's really interesting about the the whole manhood thing is that Frank Lovejoy's character, who doesn't want to fight the whole time, wants to, you know, just keep your head down and let's get through this. And they end up surviving it. And he's in in some ways much more of a his that expression of manhood is much more authentic then Edmund O'Brien's sort of false bravado of, we, we got to take him. We got to look for our chance. And then at the end of the movie, when the cops catch Emmett, Emmett Myers and they handcuff him, Edmund O'Brien starts to beat the crap out of him. Mm -hmm. But only when he's handcuffed. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And it's also great because it's so it seems so authentic. It seems like what people would do. It doesn't oh. feel like it's a brilliant writing thing, but it's also so well acted and so real that you don't think of it as a, as a comment at first at all. You just think of it as like, of course this guy did it. But then you think about, wow, yeah, it really, it does say all these really amazingly complicated things about it. Um, there's Frank a scene. Frank Lovejoy watches him and lets him do it, but doesn't join in. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's seen the real thing. Yeah. You get the feeling. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of things that we pulled. Did you pull anything to play or? or? No, I didn't pull anything to play. I just, I, I spent the entire week learning Photoshop so I could put your head on that. <laughs> on that you have to send that to me. I really oh, do love course. that. Of course. Um, but which clip do you want to watch? Here? Well, I, now I'm forgetting which ones I sent you, actually. Did I send... Let me see. What are they? Um, did I send you the watch scene? Yes, you did. Want to play that one? Sure. Here we go. All right. This is uh, them uh, camping out by the river. You guys are soft. You know what makes you that way? You're up to your necks and I owe you. You suckers. You're scared to get out on your own. You always had it good, so you're soft. Well, not me. Nobody ever gave me anything. So I don't owe nobody. My folks were tough. When I was born, they took one look at this puss of mine and told me to get lost. Well, I didn't need them. I didn't need any of them. Got what I wanted my own way. You know, great, stuff. great dialogue, great work from him. And uh, so cool that somebody that is just so disgusting. I mean, this character is literally just, you know, the lowest of the low. 
they the idolapino gives him his moment where it's like okay we see the chain of abuse like he talks about it in the scene is like my parents never gave me anything like they clearly didn't love him he was probably abused um they don't make a big thing of it and they also don't do what they do in a lot of movies that i think you know arguably well i don't want to talk about hitchcock here but like even in Psycho, where they have a doctor come in at the end and go, well, you know, the reason is because he has psychoambulations <laughs> at night and he, you know, doesn't explain it all. But here they give it to him and he gets to explain it in his own language, which, you know, is really very uh, unique for the time. You know, they give him his his opportunity to make a case for himself. And, and he makes a couple of good points because you can't, you can't argue with it. Like he is his own man. He doesn't, he lives, he, he lives by the man code and they are soft by comparison. Yeah. And he speaks the man code too. Grub. Yeah. yeah. Grub. Cut the yeah. gab. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All that stuff. Um, So intricate and so uh, objective the way that, I mean, that's what reminds me of Kubrick about it. Like early Kubrick, like, you know, uh, the killing. Uh, and Killer's Kiss, uh -huh. just that incredibly dry, uh, not ornate, very, very uh, efficient storytelling. Anything else that you uh, particularly love about it? Um, I love uh, the just the very opening, the way the way Emmett Meyer's characters handle that. We just for the longest time we just see his feet. Through the first couple of murders, you just see his feet. Yeah. It almost reminded me of, um, you know, the opening sequence of um, History of Violence. Sure. Where, you know, it was sort of almost as if they took something from this in, in that you you don't see you don't see the killers for a while, if I'm remembering it correctly. You see their their legs and feet leaving the hotel room. No, that's not. That's actually right. not. The, okay, I don't think. No, I don't know. I don't want to call you out. You can call me out. I'm. I might be remembering it wrong. You do see them in a long shot, leaving, getting into their car. They leave the hotel. They get in the car together. You see them uh, full figure in oh, a medium okay. medium shot that goes on for quite a while. But, um, but there are elements of. I mean, you can see DNA from this movie in that and in a lot of other things. You can like always go yeah. You can always call me on. I'm old. I don't remember things correctly. See a lot of Zodiac in this. Uh, Fincher, you know. Um, but then, but, but, but from seeing his feet to the wallet being tossed away to into the clip that you picked. Yeah. Which we should show. The first time that you see his face. Yeah. Is, is great. That's this clip. Yeah, yep. that's a great moment. Because up until this point, we've only seen his feet or his back as he's hiking, yeah. walking away from us down the road. Yeah, and then you see him get picked up by different people who get killed, and then you get to see this. fast moves. There are a lot of dead heroes back there getting nervous. From now on, while you're driving, keep both hands high on that wheel. And you, keep one hand along the top of this seat. The other hand high on that window. All right. Now turn off the next side road we come to. There's just so many great things going on here in that simple sequence. Yeah. I mean, that, that pull in, that track into his close up, you know? Yeah. They're, first of all, it's like they do that in horror movies. They do that in Dracula, right? Where yeah. the, the villain comes up into the light and we kind of move forward. But the other place that we do that, and what I think Ida Lupino is really referencing here, is, is uh, the hero shot. 
And I think she's taking that classic, that John Wayne shot that John that Ford shot. did in, the, in Stagecoach, where it's like hero shot. Yeah, that and first I think shot. She's doing that and kind of inverting it, you know, and making it really disturbing. Uh, and then they she pulls back into that three shot, and then coming behind him, looking behind Emmett's head as they're as they're driving down that dark road. It's just so creepy. Yeah. Um, how did they handle that eyelid, do you think, through the whole movie? This big lump of silly putty on his face. You can kind of see it's clay in a, in one of the close-ups. Oh, you know? that... It's just that old modeling clay they used to use for, you know. And that, and that just sort of pushed his eyelid down? Probably, yeah. Yeah, they just glued some heavy piece of cr crap on his face. Because I had to have a, uh, I had to have my eyelid glued open once. Yeah, yeah. Was this a punishment for something? Or what happened? Yeah. No, it was. It was in a film. I was. Uh, my character was supposed to have Bell's palsy. Oh, I I've, I've had Bell's palsy and, for oh, for a little while. Oh, I, fun, yeah. yeah. So they actually put um like glue on my eyelid and then folded it over and glued it down onto my cheek so that my eye was pulled open and didn't shut you put that on your you put that on your group resume shot for a while yeah, I, yeah. Right? Well, yeah. so i use it on my dating profile yeah <laughs> along with the picture <clears throat> of the whale yeah um i want to give a huge shout out to a couple of people here I want to give a shout out to, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I hope I am. Natividad Vazio or Vasio. Who Dude, plays you're asking me? No, I'm not. I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm apologetically saying everything right now. Okay. It's not a question. It's just, I'm hoping I'm right. Natividad Vasio. Uh, he plays Jose, the, the, the fisherman that they meet who calls yep. the police on them. Also to uh, Jose Torve, who played the police captain who's trailing them through the desert. Um, he was in The Treasure of Sierra Madre. Uh, two wonderful actors. And why I, I love them, it, they were good in the movie, but I, I love that uh, Ida Lupino, who also wrote this script, um, lets these Spanish-speaking actors speak in Spanish, just, just speaking together, speaking Spanish, no yeah. subtitles. Yep. We don't know what they're saying. If you don't speak Spanish, you're out. Sorry, you, you you don't get to know. And there are three or four scenes that are just with Spanish-speaking people, Mexicans talking to each other about the case, following them around, and we never, ever get subtitles. And I was like, that is really cool. That is 1953? Come yeah. on. Yeah. That's really amazing. And she gave them things to play and and even small parts she gave these actors something to play and um cast good actors in these parts so that you really felt like even though you were only kind of spending a little time with the these people uh who were tracking the killers you really felt like you got to know them as people and they were all also so comparatively sane and you know, like normal and rational compared to the americans in the movie i thought that right. was also a really interesting comment you know and the mexican um, police are the ones who capture him yeah they get him the fbi doesn't do it the fbi doesn't do it and yeah. it and it was the mexican police in in real life who captured cook by walking up to him and pulling his gun like they uh, so an officer walked up to him and grabbed it gun out of his waistband or something like that right there you go not so <laughs> tough him. now yeah not so tough now yeah so yeah, I just thought that was really, uh, really, really cool, um, and and really uh, surprising. You know, I keep on saying for '53, but I mean, honestly, that's kind of surprising, even for today, to see a, an American movie with with um, you know who, who risks just like no, we're gonna have a bunch of scenes that are in another language. Yeah. Just take it easy. It's not yeah. about you. It's not about you for five minutes. But also, <laughs> I thought, but you know, there was another interesting thing. Not to get too deep about it, but. I was thinking about how in the movie, the character of Emmett Myers, the killer, anytime people speak Spanish, he flips out. Yeah. He's kind of racist, kind of racist, but he's also next. terrified that somebody's going to talk when he won't get it. Like they're going to give away his position or something, right? Yeah. Because he doesn't speak Spanish. 
But I was thinking they do that so many times in the film and then they have all these scenes where people are speaking Spanish and they don't tell the audience. I bet you there was a bit, that was a bit of like prodding from Ida Lupino going, who out there in the audience is gonna get pissed off because they're speaking Spanish oh, right Interesting. And interesting. I bet there were more than a, a few. Do you have a favorite moment in the movie? I have a I have a bunch of love moments I love, but I do have I do have a favorite moment. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want to hear what it is, or am no, I already talking too much? much? Yeah, I, I, I just want to make sure I had I, one. I just want yeah. to know if you had one. I think my favorite moment in a movie full of great moments is the moment where um, Lovejoy, uh, played by um, no, it's Frank Love Lovejoy is the actor. Yeah, who's playing. Bowen, uh, when he grabs that little girl away from oh, Emmett Myers, yeah, they go they go to this uh, they go to this uh, dry goods store to pick up some supplies on the road, and there's a tense scene because uh, Emmett Myers has got a gun hidden on them, and he's telling the the two kidnapped guys to go pick up food in the store. And the guy who runs the store is this kindly store manager. He doesn't know what's going on. And his little daughter is like six years old, comes out and starts to kind of like tug on the killer's sleeve because she doesn't know what's going on. They don't really know what's happening yet. But she's just close. She's just too close to him. And he doesn't like it. Like Emmett Myers kind of like brushes her off and says something kind of creepy about it. And uh, Frank Lovejoy just rushes over to her and grabs her away from him. And like pulls her, like blocks her, like pulls yeah. as if to get her as physically far from him as just as possible, just because it's revolting to him to think of her anywhere near him. I, I just thought that was so well played. And I thought Lovejoy brought that brilliantly without overdoing it. You know, he he got all of that information in that one move. I loved it. I uh I think one of my favorite moments is um there's a scene, the scene where they're by the, the well. And you, you're starting to think that maybe he's going to, this is where he's going to kill them and throw them down in the well. And it's the first time in the movie that there's, there's this really lovely music playing, but they're off in the middle of the desert in Mexico. Yeah. And at first, I, my first thought was that it was non-diegetic music. I thought, this is the strangest music to have as the score to yeah. the scene. And, and it's not for a little ways into the scene that you find out it's diegetic music coming from the radio. Radio, yeah, you know, it's you, very you strange. Score. And, 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 and he makes them drop something down into the well to see how deep it is, and you think he's going to kill them and throw them down yeah. there. And I'm like saying, why is this sweet, lovely? There is no other lovely music anywhere in the whole movie. Yeah, it was so creepy and jarring to me. That's why I say she reminds me of Kubrick. It literally is the kind of like there's there she's she's using these devices we've seen in other noir movies, but she's twisting them a little bit, you know, and kind of making new comments about stuff with it. It's without without while still making a real noir movie, you know, she's not she's she still loves the genre. Yeah, very, Fantastic. very strange moment. Another very scene I love is the uh, which I have a clip of. I don't know if you want to play it if we have time, but it's I the want, it's, we have time. We're, we're on YouTube. We can do whatever we want. We could do talk about this. We movie could keep going. It could be a marathon. We could watch the movie now. We could play Let's it. Just watch it, and we'll smile. Uh, I love uh, I love that the scene later in the movie where the airplane flies overhead and Edmund O'Brien has his complete freak out where he yeah. loses it. I'd love to show it because it's a great acting moment from O'Brien. And it's also watch the camera angles here. Of what's here going go. on here? It is. Oh, 
Heavy man. Yeah. I mean, you're not used to seeing guys just break into tears and fall onto the ground. No. And that's that's interesting. And then also just how how clinical it is, like incredibly high angle on Edmund O'Brien, incredibly low angle on Tallman, right? Yeah. Extremes. And then just right down the barrel, eye level at Lovejoy through the through every single shot until he ascends the mountain of morality at the end of that scene, you know, after Tallman just does one of the most disgusting things you can do of mocking, you know, like mocking somebody. Mocking and praying, yeah. I mean, she's a, she's a great director. If this is the only thing she made, she, she, she'd be a great director. And Edmund O'Brien, you know, man who, man who shot Liberty Valance, barefoot. So seven days in May, Wild Bunch, Fantastic Voyage, The Longest Day. DOA. DOA. I mean, that guy just the other two guys. I mean, Tallman worked, but yeah, they they, of, they weren't that well known. Remember, but you know, Edmund O'Brien was one of the most beloved character actors of his yeah, day. Spectacular. Mm -hmm. His stuff New York guy started in New York, theater guy. Well, all the all the you know that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We Just don't wanted to even, say we don't even need to go there. Nah. And then you had some photographs that you wanted to show, right? I did. Yeah, I did. I, you know, just some some uh, setups that I just particularly really love. I mean, we can All talk right. while you throw them up there. We can okay. tell people listening Here, to the I'll podcast. Throw one up. I'll throw one up, and uh, you can talk about it a little bit. There we go. Uh, oh no, hey. that's, that's the pot roast that I made. Oh, we don't need to see that. That looks really good. It was that looks really great. good. The cabbage and the potatoes and the and the oh, carrots. That yeah. looks, I made a pot roast yesterday, and it yours looks better. You it win. Was, it was, was pretty special, but uh, I'm sorry that it was that was a complete accident. That's a, that's, I, a, that, that's from a color film. Yeah, that was by accident. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, that's here we go. Here's your pictures. Um, there we okay. go. Okay, I love the car in this. I want that car. I yeah. want it very badly. Um, just that car in that desert with that sign hanging off of it just doesn't get much more stripped down noir than that. Like that is just end of the road, the last bits of humanity. This is what happens when you make bad choices. <laughs> this and is why we can't have nice things. This is exactly why we can't have nice things. And this is just... These three guys marching through this landscape. What I love, one of the things I love about the movie is how much of it is shot on location. Um, they did a little bit of studio stuff, but I think almost everything with these three actors was on the road and and in real real desert locations and stuff. And here they are crossing what must be part of Death Valley. And was she does a really beautiful job too of the the way the scenery and the the way the location gets worse and worse as yeah. their situation gets worse. They yeah. start off on sort of rustic country roads and then they end up on, on dirt roads and then they end up on hard pack and then they end up in the desert and then they end up on, you know, this kind of desert. Because they go from high desert to low desert. Yeah, in the, it just gets and worse it... and worse and worse and more and more bleak Yeah, as their situation gets more and more bleak. I also just love the angle on it to uh, that slightly high angle. She's got is great. And then this shot of Emmett Myers, man of Tallman in the back seat of the car um, is just so creepy. He's lurching back there like this animal, like this toad and the way they, the, the physicalization of his evil is just so good in this movie. It's fantastic. Um, He's just unnerving as hell. Yeah. And and clearly look, I mean, he's clearly on drugs too. I, I feel like it's um 
one, one, an early example of somebody who's an amphetamine uh, nut, you know, like a pill popper. Yeah. Um, uh, just the way he's sweating and everything. I mean, I know that from when well, I was an amphetamine junkie and was popping pills and sweating all the time. It's very uncomfortable. You look like that. <laughs> um, all right. So I've covered my favorite lines, my favorite moment. I don't have a least favorite. There's nothing about this movie. Just the FBI agent. The FBI. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was the one thing we did find something to deride. Yeah, I'm just, not happy unless I have derision for yeah, something. I mean, we you know, I think anybody who sees this will know that's not the finest moments of the film. <laughs> Luckily, they're very brief, they're very brief, and they're informational, they're yeah. informational only. Yeah. Um, but uh, I am gonna go get everything I Lupino directed on Blu ray and just celebrate her because people more people need to talk about her, damn it. So good. So there was a uh, an article that I saw about uh, Lupino and the Hitchhiker. And in that article, it talked about, uh, and this is something I'm going to start doing. It talked about movie, certain movies that it considers are the keystones of noir, which are The Locket by John Bram. Do you know that one? I'm embarrassed to say that I do not. Out of the Past and Born to be Bad, Nicholas Ray. I've seen out of the past. I've not seen born to be bad. Where danger lives. John Farrow clash by night. Fritz Lang. And the blue gardenia Fritz Lang. Whose list is this? And what, where did you get this list? This uh, from an article on Ida Lupino. And these were movies that, uh, that they were talking about. These are all pre this movie all before this movie that they're talking about were influences on her oh okay okay all right i i i know some of those things i i haven't but i haven't seen the majority of them so that's embarrassing well i have to rectify that i don't know that it's embarrassing let me to be the I, I will decide I what's seen, embarrassing i haven't for me. seen any of them so you well know. you should be humiliated not just embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> i'm often humiliated um yeah um, well she is, yeah, she's really like, I don't know, this movie's great. This is just a great film. But so next week, we're going to be talking about Kiss Me Deadly. Yes. Right? No, no comma. There's no comma. No, there's no comma. No, it's just straight Deadly. Was deadly. I thought Deadly was a character. I thought it was like, Kiss Me Deadly. No, no. Uh, no, it could work that way, I suppose, but that's not, uh, that's not the thing. Okay, do you want but... to tell me anything about that movie? Because I don't know anything about it. It's a Mike Hammer movie, um, and uh, Mike Hammer was, that character was kind of considered kind of the most brutal, you know, kind of brutal tough guy detectives of Spillane? the genre. Yeah. Wasn't it Spillane? Mike I Hammer. I believe Mike Hammer was Mi Mickey Spillane. Yeah, uh, and this film um, is a, is another is another noir movie, very hard hitting, tough movie about terrible people, made by a very nice person, made by a very humanitarian guy. Um, so there's a lot of very interesting commentary in it. I think about similar things about masculinity and stuff. But do you want to tell us who that very the person you just said all those wonderful things about? And you didn't tell us who it is. Oh, we're going to talk about it next week. I don't want to give anything away. Why would I, I have nothing to say next week? But I want to know his name. At who? Um, I have to. I, I I have to look up the stats. Hold on oh, a second. A great humanitarian and a personal friend of mine, whose name I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, kiss me deadly. Um, I'm bad with names. Let's just face it. I'm your brother Matthew. I don't. I don't need to know that right now. Yeah, <laughs> Robert Aldrich. Uh, directed okay. Aldrich was was uh, n was known as like a great guy to work for. He was um, uh, just you know a, a good like a good guy, uh, a good egg, uh, a good egg. Um, put you know interested in humanitarian ideas in his movies, and uh, and made some really crazy good uh, crazy dark movies for a guy uh, like that. Kiss Me Deadly is is just notably hard hitting, and. Um, you know, uh, Ralph Meeker as Mickey Spillane in this 
uh, well, not as Mickey Spleen, but as 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 the the detective. I'm totally falling apart here. As Mike Hammer, Mike Hammer is one one of the more evil heroes. Like he's he's the hero, but he's kind of the most anti-hero hero that you'll ever see. Um, so it's a crazy movie. I'm looking forward to looking right, at it. Again. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. So uh, people should uh, tell other people about this show. You should. Other people need to tell those other people about that show as well. You need to tell people if you tell people and each person you tells tells two people and they each tell two people. There'll be like 37 people talking about this show. Watching the show. Fantastic. It, it's available as a podcast on 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 Apple Podcasts and uh and have a great time and come join us next week for Kiss Me Deadly. Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah. All right. And All right, you, man. I'll probably talk to you before next week. I'll probably talk to you after the credits. Okay. Have a good night. Me too. Oh, hey, and we got to tell people to go to our website. Right, because there's yeah. stuff on there. Yeah, there's merch. There's other episodes of the show. You should be subscribed to the show. There's so many episodes, but there's merch and there's stuff and yeah. there's gifts for people. Yeah. There's a T-shirt. There's a, a Silverado poster. All kinds of great stuff. So and check stuff, it out. Stuff is coming up too. We'll be adding stuff to it. Yeah. So check it out at ArkinBros.com. You've been listening to the Arkin Brothers talk about movies. That's my brother, Matthew Arkin. And that's my brother, Anthony Arkin. And we are interesting, irreverent, and irrelevant. But you can follow us on Instagram anyway. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch. And you can do it all on our website. Just follow the link on your podcast app. Or if you really want to stalk us, head over to arkinbros.com. You'll learn more about us than anyone would ever want to know.